0: Section 30 of Modern Magic. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by April Walters. Modern Magic A Practical Treatise on the Art of Conjuring by Professor Lewis Hoffman. The Cup and Balls. Part 1. The subject of the present chapter may be said to be the groundwork of all ledger domain, being, we believe, the very earliest form in which sleight of hand was exhibited. At the present day it is not very often seen, save in the bastard form known as Thimble-Rig, used as a means of fleecing the unwary upon race-courses and at country fairs. It is, however, well worthy the attention of the student of modern magic, not only as affording an excellent course of training in digital dexterity, but as being, in the hands of an adept, most striking in effect. It is by no means uncommon to find spectators who have received more elaborate feats with comparative indifference become interested and even enthusiastic over a brilliant manipulation of the cups and balls. The prestige of the illusion is heightened by the simplicity of the appliances used, consisting merely of three tin cups, about three inches high, each in the form of a truncated cone with a rim or shoulder round the base. See figure 118. The ordinary wand, four little cork balls three-quarters of an inch or a little less in diameter and blackened in the flame of a candle, three larger balls of about an inch and a quarter in diameter, and four more of such a size as to just fill the goblet. These last are generally stuffed with hair and covered with cloth. The number of balls may vary according to the particular passes which the performer desires to exhibit, but the above will be found sufficient for most purposes. The performers of the olden time were accustomed to use the gibussière, or apron with pockets already mentioned, and to perform at a table having no speciality, save that it was a little higher than those in ordinary use. But at the present day, the glussière is entirely discarded, their servant of the tables answering the same purpose. The arrangement of the table and apparatus is shown in figure 118. The whole art of the cup and ball conjuring resolves itself into two elements, one, the exhibition of a ball under a cup, where a moment previously there was nothing, and two, the disappearance of a ball from beneath a cup, under which the audience has just seen it, or believe they have seen it, placed. The routine is as follows. A cup is lifted to show that there is nothing beneath it and again replaced, mouth downward, on the table. A ball is taken in the right hand, transferred to the left, and then ordered to pass under the cup. The hand is opened, the ball is vanished, and on the cup being lifted is found beneath it. Again, the ball first exhibited in the right hand is thence openly transferred, either directly under the cup or first to the left hand and thence to the cup. All having seen it placed beneath the cup, it is now commanded to depart. And on again lifting the cup, it is found to have vanished. It will hardly be believed until proved by experiment of what numerous and surprising combinations these simple elements are capable. The sleight-of-hand requisite for the cups and balls is technically divisible into four different acts or movements, that is 1. To palm the ball, 2. To reproduce the palmed ball at the end of the fingers, 3. To secretly introduce the palmed ball under the cup, 4. To simulate the action of placing the ball under the cup. These modes of affecting these objects will be discussed in due order. 1. To palm the ball. First method. We use the generic term palm for the sake of convenience, though in this first method, which is that most generally used, the ball is really concealed between the second and third fingers and not in the palm. Take the ball between the first finger and thumb of the right hand, slightly bend the fingers, see figure 119, and at the same moment roll the ball with the thumb across the first and second fingers, till it rests between the second and third fingers, see figure 120, which should slightly separate to receive it, again closing as soon as it is safely lodged. The ball will now be as shown in Figure 121, and will be found that the hand can be opened or closed with perfect freedom, and indeed be used in any manner without being in the least hampered by its presence. The student should practice palming the ball in this manner, both in the act of apparently transferring the ball to the left hand, and in that of apparently placing it under a cup. Second Method the second method is to actually palm the ball in the same manner as a coin. For this purpose, the ball is, as before, taken between the f- first finger and thumb of the right hand, but is thence made by the thumb to roll between the tips of the third and fourth fingers, which immediately close into the palm, and again opening, leave the ball behind them. With a little practice, two balls in succession may be palmed in this way, and then a third by the first method. Third method. The third method is that which has been adopted by the celebrated Bosco, a most accomplished performer with the cup and balls. Being accustomed to use balls of a larger size than those above described, and therefore too bulky to palm by the first method, used to hold them by means of a slight contraction of the little finger, see figure 122. The necessary movement of the fingers to place the ball in position is nearly the same as by the first method. To reproduce the palmed ball at the end of the fingers, the mode of doing this will vary according to the method by which the ball is palmed. If, according to the first or third method, the ball is simply rolled back to the fingertips with the ball of the thumb, exactly reversing the process by which it was palmed. But if the ball was palmed by the second method, it is, for the time being, not get at by the ball of the thumb. In this case, the first step is to close the third and fourth fingers upon the ball, see figure 123, and therewith roll it to the position shown in figure 122 when the thumb is enabled to reach it, and to roll to the fingertips in the manner just described. 3. To in- secretly introduce the palmed ball under the cup. This is always done in the act of raising the cup with the right hand, for the ostensible purpose of showing that there is nothing underneath it. The chief thing to be attended to is the position of the right hand, in which we are supposing a ball to be palmed by one or other of the methods above mentioned, in raising the cup. This should be done with the hand spread almost flat upon the table, and grasping the cup as low down as possible, between the thumb and the lowest joint of the forefinger. In the act of raising the cup, the fingers naturally assume the position shown in figure 124, whereby the ball is pro- brought into close proximity to, and slightly under, the edge of the cup. If the ball be palmed by the first method, all that is necessary in order to release it is a slight backward movement of the second and a forward movement of the third finger, made just before the cup again touches the table. This will be found to drop the ball immediately under the cup. If the ball be palmed by the third method, its introduction under the cup is a still easier matter, as by the act of raising the cup it is brought directly underneath it, and is released by the mere act of straightening the third and fourth fingers. If the ball is palmed by the second method, it becomes necessary before taking hold of the cup, to close the third and fourth fingers slightly, see figure 123, and bring the ball to the position shown in figure 122. From this point the operation is the same as if the ball had been originally palmed by the third method. It is sometimes necessary to introduce a ball between two cups. It will be remembered that each cup is made of a cylindrical rim or shoulder. The purpose of this shoulder is that, when two cups are placed upon one, the other, see figure 125 there may be a space between them sufficient to receive a ball or balls. To further facilitate the introduction of the ball, the top of each cup is made not flat, but concave. When it is desired to introduce a ball between two cups, that object is effected as follows. Having the ball ready palmed in the right hand, the performer takes up a cup in the same hand and with it covers the second cup at the same moment, introducing the ball beneath it in the ordinary manner but with the addition of a little upward jerk, rather difficult to describe but easily acquired with a little practice. The ball is thereby thrown to the top of the uppermost cup and, in again falling, is received by the concave top of the lowermost cup. 4. To simulate the action of placing a ball under a cup. This may be done in two ways. The first is to raise the cup with the left hand apparently placing the ball underneath it with the right, but really palming it. Care must be taken that the edge of the cup shall touch the table at the very moment the fingers of the right hand are removed. The second and more common method is to apparently transfer the ball to the left hand, palming it in transit, and then bringing the closed left hand close to the cup on the table, raising the cup with the other hand, and immediately replacing it with a sort of scraping movement across the fingers of the now-opening left hand. When the student has thoroughly mastered the various operations above described, he will have little to learn save the combination of the various passes, a matter of memory only. There are, however, one or two subordinate sleights with which he should make himself acquainted before proceeding to publicly exhibit his dexterity. To produce a ball from the wand. The wand is supposed to be the reservoir whence the magician produces his store of balls and into which they vanish when no longer needed. The mode of production is as follows. The performer, holding the wand in his left hand and drawing attention to it by some remark as to its mysterious power of production and absorption, secretly takes, with his right hand, from the servante or elsewhere, a ball which he immediately palms, preferably by the first method. Faintly holding the wand by either end with the left hand in such manner as to show that the hand is otherwise empty, he slides the thumb and fingers of the right hand, the back of which is naturally toward the audience, lightly to the opposite end, at the same moment rolling the ball with the thumb to the ends of the fingers as already described. See figure 126. The ball thus comes in sight just as the hand leaves the wand, the effect to the eyes of the spectator being that the ball is, by some mysterious process, squeezed out of the wand to return a ball into the wand. This is the converse of the process last described. Taking the wand in the left hand as before, and the ball between the thumb and second joint of the forefinger of the opposite hand, the performer lays the end of the wand across the tips of the fingers and draws the hand gently downward along it, at the same time palming the ball by the first method. To pass one cup through another. This is an effective slight, and by no means difficult of acquirement. Taking one of the cups, mouth upward, in the left hand, and holding another in a similar position in the right hand, about a foot above it, the performer drops the right-hand cup smartly into that in the left hand, which latter should be held very lightly. If this is neatly done, the lower cup will be knocked out of the hand by the concussion, while the upper one will be caught and held in its place, the effect to the eye of the spectator being as if the upper cup had passed through the other. The lower cup May either be allowed to fall on the ground or table, or may be caught in the right hand in its fall. The successive appearances and disappearances of the balls underneath the cups are known by the name of passes, the particular combination of such passes being governed by the taste and invention of the performer. The series most generally in use is derived from a work dating from the last century, the Recreations Mathématiques et Physiques of Goyot, and Goyot, we believe, borrowed it from a German source. The series given below, which will be found very effective, is derived mainly from that of Goyot, as improved by Ponsin, a later and very ingenious writer on the art of prestidigitation. The cups and balls require, even more than conjuring generally, a running accompaniment of talk. Each pass should have its own boniment or patter, carefully prepared and frequently rehearsed. It would be impossible to give, within any reasonable limits, appropriate patter for each of the passes. This each performer must arrange for himself so as to suit the style and character in which he performs, as it is obvious that the low-comedy style of a Montebank at a county fair would be utterly unsuitable in an aristocratic drawing-room, and vice versa. We shall, however, give a specimen or two in the course of the various passes. The burlesque introduction next following is a paraphrase of a similar address quoted by Robert Houdin. Introductory Address. Ladies and gentlemen, in an age so enlightened as our own, it really is surprising to see how many popular fallacies spring up from day to day and are accepted by the public mind as the unchangeable laws of nature. Among these fallacies there is one which I propose at once to point out to you, and which I flatter myself I shall very easily dispose of. Many people have asserted, and among others the celebrated Erasmus of Rotterdam, that a material object can be in only one place at one time now i maintain on the contrary that any object may be in several places at the same moment and it is equally possible that it be nowhere at all i must beg you to observe in the first place that i have nothing in my hands except my fingers and that between my fingers there is nothing save a few atoms of the mysterious fluid which we call the atmosphere and through which our jolly old earth spins so merrily along but we must leave the commonplace regions of astronomy and return to the mysteries of hermetic science. I have before me, as you will have noticed, three little cups or goblets, the metal of which these are composed in an amalgam of costly minerals, unknown even to the most profound philosophers. This mysterious composition, which resembles silver in its solidity, its color, and the clearness of its ring, has over silver this great advantage, that it will, at pleasure, become impalpable as air so that solid bodies pass through these goblets as easily as they would through empty space. I will give you a curious illustration of this by making one goblet pass through another. This the performer does in the manner already described, and after a moment's pause, continues taking up his wand in his left hand and secretly palming a ball in his right. This little wand, you are possibly aware, ladies and gentlemen, goes by the name of Jacob's Rod. Why it is so called, I really don't know. I only know that this simple-looking wand has a faculty of producing various articles at pleasure. For instance, I require for the purpose of my experiment a little ball. My wand at once supplies me. He produces a ball from the wand and lays it on the table. With this or some similar introduction, the performer proceeds to exhibit Pass One, having placed a ball under the, each cup to draw it out again without lifting the cup. Having produced a ball from the wand as last described, and having laid it on the table, the operator continues. Allow me to show you once more that all the cups are empty. He raises them one by one and replaces them, and that I have nothing in either of my hands. I take this little ball, he picks it up with his right hand, and apparently transfers it to the left, really palming it in the right, and place it under one of the cups. Here, he raises the cup with his right hand, and simulates the action of placing the ball under it with the left. I draw another ball from my wand this is really the same ball which remained palmed in the right hand and place it in a like manner under the second cup. He goes through the motion of transferring to the left hand and thence the cup as before but this time actually does what on the former occasion he only pretended to do and leaves the ball under the middle cup. I produce another ball he half-draws the wand through his fingers, but checks himself half-way. I think I heard one of you assert I have a ball already in my hand. Pray satisfy yourselves, showing the palms of his hands, the fingers carelessly apart. That such is not the case. A lady suggested just now, by the way. It was only said in a whisper, but I heard it. They didn't really put the balls under the cup. It was rather sharp on the part of the lady, but you see she was wrong, here are the balls footnote the reader will understand that nobody has in fact made any such observation but the overhearing of an imaginary objection is often of great use as enabling the performer to do some necessary act which he could not well have done without such pretext thus in this instance the performer wants a plausible excuse first for altering his apparent intention of immediately producing a second ball from the wand and secondly for lifting the middle cup and so regaining possession of the ball a conjuror thus addressing an imaginary objector is said in French, palais la but the phrasing has no precise equivalent among English performers. End footnote. So saying, the performer lifts up the middle cup with his left hand, and picking up the ball with his right, holds it up that all may see, immediately replacing it under the same cup. The last movement is simulated only, the ball being in reality palmed in the supposed act of placing it under the cup. We have now a ball under each of these two cups. We want only one more and here it is. Apparently producing a third ball, but really the same again from the wand. We will now place it under this last cup. He actually does so. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have three cups and three balls, one under each cup. So far, I admit that I have not shown you anything very surprising, but now comes the puzzle to take the balls from under the cups. Perhaps some of you sharp gentlemen will say there isn't much difficulty in that. Lift the cup and pick up the ball. He suits the action to the word, lifting up the third goblet with the left hand and picking up the ball with the right. A very good solution, but it doesn't happen to be the right one. The problem is to draw the balls without lifting the cups. Here, he replaces the cup, apparently placing the little ball beneath it but really palming it as already described in the case of the middle cup and then returns to the first or furthest cup touching the top of the goblet he lets the palmed ball drop to his fingertips and immediately exhibits it saying this is the way i take balls out of the cups the ball being no longer needed i return it into the wand this he does as described at page two seventy seven immediately afterwards if desired handing the wand for examination in like manner, I draw out the second ball and he repeats the same process with the middle goblet and pass that also into my wand. I need not even handle the goblets. See, I merely touch this third goblet with my wand and the ball instantly appears on the top. The company, of course, cannot see any ball on the end of the wand, but a ball nevertheless is taken thence by the process already described. and Letting go of the palmed ball to drop to the tip of the fingers as they come in contact with the wand i pass this also into my wand stay though on second thoughts i shall want a ball for my next experiment so i will leave it here on the table we have given a somewhat elaborate description of this first pass in order to give the reader some idea of the various feints and artifices employed in relation to the cups and balls it would be impossible from considerations of space to do as this for each of the passes, and the reader must therefore remember that the descriptions following give merely the essential outlines, which must be worked up to dramatic effectiveness by the ingenuity of the individual performer. Where practicable, we shall allow the few words put into mouth of giving the performer to indicate the actions accompanying them, only giving special stage directions in cases where the performer does not suit the action to the words. For the sake of distinctness, we shall indicate the goblets reckoning from the left hand of the performer, as A, B, and C. See figure 118. Pass 2. To make a ball travel invisibly from cup to cup. Now ladies and gentlemen, if you watch very closely, you will be able to see the ball travel from one cup to another. I take the ball, transfers it apparently to left hand, and place it under this cup, C. You all see it, there's nothing under this one, B. And raising B with the right hand, he introduces under it the palmed ball. I shall now command the ball, which I have just placed under the first cup, C, to travel under this one, B. Attention, you will see it pass. He makes a motion of the wand from one cup to the other. There it goes, this cup, C, as you see, is empty, and under this one, B, is the ball. I will p- replace it under the same cup, B. He, in reality, palms it. There's nothing under this cup, A. He secretly introduces the ball under A. Now observe again. Pass. Did you see it? No? Well, I don't much wonder at it, for I can't always see it myself. Here it is, however. Lifts A. And this cup, B, is empty. He replaces the cups on the table and lays the ball beside them. End of section 30. Recording by April Walters.